You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. So let's go ahead and get into today's walk talk. Before I begin these walk talks, I always like to introduce myself. Just in case you're new to my ministry, my name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. All of my books are available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle. I have a social media ministry. I started out my social media ministry on Facebook and it kind of ballooned over there until Facebook turned uh, not so cool anymore. I'm not a huge fan of Facebook anymore. I do still post on there regularly, but it's just not the same as it once was when I first started my social media ministry. It used to be on Facebook when you posted, it went out to everybody who followed your page. It doesn't work like that now. It goes out to like 0.0001%. And then if you want it to go out to other people who already like your page, you got to pay for it. So not only that, Facebook, their algorithms, they're not very friendly. It's turned into a big spam box. And I hate to see that because I started my social media ministry out on Facebook. So when you read some of my books, you'll see me just excited about this platform, but it's not so much great anymore. It's still okay. I can still get the gospel out. There's still good things that happen, but it's not what it once was. Now it started out on Facebook and then my ministry, um, went over to Instagram, kind of built this audience here. Now I'm on, and I tried Twitter. Twitter's just not for me. Now I'm on, um, TikTok. So TikTok is a new frontier for the gospel. When you have a social media ministry, we always want to look for new ways, no matter what your platform is, to tell people about the goodness of God, to tell people about Jesus. So I've been using TikTok. I really like that platform. I like how it works. Hopefully they don't mess with it too much and they leave it as it is because it's pretty cool as it is. Um, so that's a little bit on, on my background. Um, I have no theological training. I have no seminary degree. I'm a regular person, just like you. And I believe that is how the gospel was truly meant to be shared. Just regular people, just regular people living life, making mistakes, encouraging one another, just figuring out this life in Christ, shame-free, guilt-free. And that's what I like about um, the goodness of God is he has not assigned anyone a particular position. Our modern church has, and no disrespect to pastors, they have turned the pastoral gift into a position. We see the word pastor used once in scripture, it's in the book of Ephesians, and it is a spiritual gift. It's a shepherding gift. It is not what we have turned it into. We don't see anything in scripture where one person stands up front, tells everybody what they want them to know, And then they go home and they come back next week for another dose. It's not there. Now, can God use this system? Of course. He uses it all the time, every week. There are lots of wonderful New Covenant pastors out there who use that position that they have to teach the goodness of God, to teach the truth of the gospel. But not every pastor does that. Some people are pastors and they've never even believed in Jesus. They became a pastor because they thought that would save them. They became a pastor because they enjoy being a, uh, for lack of a better term, narcissist. They have a narcissistic personality. They know if they become a pastor, they can manipulate and control people. And then they've never believed. Now, can I tell if somebody's believed? No. Can you tell if somebody's believed? No. You can't tell. 
it's impossible to tell who is saved and who isn't saved. So we don't want to go down that path. But just know, my point is, any position cannot save you, cannot keep you saved, does not earn your righteousness, does not give you a higher level of righteousness, does not cause God to see you in a uh, way of favoritism. He doesn't respect the person that's up front any different than he respects the janitor in the back watching. So I want to help you unlearn some stuff that you've learned that is error. So you will hear me talk about pastors, not in a negative term, but in a way to help you understand the freedom that you have as a regular Christian. We're all just regular people. No matter what you do for a living, ministry you have, whatever it is, I want to help you understand your freedom. I want you to understand that you are in the same boat as the believing person who has a pastoral position in a church. Sometimes the person up on stage knows less than you about the new covenant. And it's hard to listen. <laughs> and sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, man, it's just time to leave this, this group to go do something else. Uh, other times the Holy Spirit will lead you to stay, just stay here for a little while longer. You know, I'm really <laughs> trying to work through you to help other people understand the new covenant. Whatever the happening is going on in your life in regard to you and a church, a pastor, just know that the Holy Spirit is always working in you and through you in order to get you to understand grace and to get you to enjoy this life in Christ that you have. So think of your pastor with love, think of him with grace, but understand if they believe that that position has authority over you, that's error. It's not in the Bible. So my ministry is not church bashing. My ministry is not pastor bashing. My ministry is gospel focused. When you get the gospel right, you can focus all those things on uh, you can cycle all those things around the gospel, your attendance at a church building, the way you interact with a person who has a title of pastor, all of those things. You got to get the truth right first, understand your freedom, understand who you are in Christ, understand how you're supposed to interact with people. Okay. So that's, that's my background. That's kind of what my ministry is, is centered on helping you understand your freedom. And I always start out by saying I'm not a pastor because I get called pastor Matt. And then I also want people to know that the, the position of pastor is not what the Bible has actually come up with. We've come up with that. We've retrofitted back into the Bible. Okay. Now let's go ahead and get to today's topic. The book of Acts isn't doctrine. If somebody would have said that to me seven, eight years ago, I'd have been like, get this guy out of here. Get him out of here. Heresy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. The whole Bible is doctrine. People have built their entire theology on the book of Acts. Some churches are Acts whatever, whatever churches. Here's the problem with the book of Acts. Now, before I continue, full disclaimer, the book of Acts belongs in the Bible. The book of Acts is right. The book of Acts is true. There's nothing wrong with the book of Acts. It is how we are reading it 
and then trying to apply it. The book of Acts is not like any other New Testament epistle. The book of Acts is not like anything in the Old Testament. The book of Acts is recorded Acts. It's a history book. It is the early church getting their theology in order, making mistakes, and a bunch of stuff is happening. When we look to the book of Acts and we try to create doctrine out of it, we're going to end up with egg in our face. We're going to end up preaching against the simplicity of the gospel. We're going to put a yoke of slavery on people that should not be there. We have to look at Acts for what it is. It is recorded Acts. So this is being dictated by Paul. Luke is writing it and he's telling everything that happened. So when we read Acts, we have to read it like that. We have all these epistles for doctrine. Romans, Corinthians, um, Philippians, Galatians, all of these epistles for doctrine. And then Revelation is a book of symbolism. And we're supposed to read the book of Revelation as symbolism. That's how God wants you to understand the end of time. Symbolic. He doesn't want you worried about the end of time. He wants you focused on who you are and expressing your righteous new nature. So when we read the book of Acts, let's look at a handful of things where people have really latched onto and created some doctrine, but it's not really doctrine. First of all, let's look at Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized. How many times do you hear that from people who have a waterworks theology of you have to be submerged into water in order to be saved? You have to be submerged into water in order to complete your salvation. For me, having a social media ministry, nearly every day, repent and be baptized. So let's look at that. In Acts 2.38, if you start back up at verse 14, you can get the context. Peter stands up and begins speaking to the Jews. My fellow Israelites. So he stands up after he had received the spirit. And we're going to come back to that. And he begins to preach the gospel. What does he say? He lists all these things about the Jewish faith. Then he gets to Jesus. Talks about Jesus. And then he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. That's key right there. Why is that key? Because they were used to repenting toward the law of Moses. John the Baptist, he was out in the wilderness. They would all come out to him and he would really give them some fire and brimstone. You need to do a better job of obeying the law of Moses. 613 commandments. You're doing a terrible job. Repent. Repent. So when they heard the word repent, that was them being told Start doing a better job obeying the commandments. The commandments of Moses. Moses, not Jesus. Moses has 613 commandments, 10 of which are the 10 commandments. Jesus has two commandments, and they're not to be combined. Jesus has believe and love. We see this in the book of 1 John. His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments happen naturally. So these Israelites, these Jews, were used to hearing, repent. But they were never told to repent in the name of Jesus. So they were being told you need to change your belief from Moses to Jesus. That is what saves. Repent 
in the name of Jesus and then be baptized. What is baptism? There's two different types of baptism. There's water baptism. The Jews were water baptized before the cross. Why? They were water baptized by John the Baptist. Why? Because it gave them a clear conscience to do a better job of obeying the law of Moses. So they'd come see John the Baptist. He'd say, you're terrible at following the law. Repent and do a better job. Yes, John, I will do that. I will do everything written in the book of the law. Okay, great. Come on over here. Dip you down in the water. Back up. Off you go. It was a clear conscience symbolic event. So when they left from being dipped in that water by John the Baptist, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do a better job of obeying the law of Moses. I'm going to be righteous through the law. I'm going to delight in the law. Repent. Be baptized. But they were never told repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. So that's the context. And then 3,000 of those Jewish people believed. They repented from belief in the law. And then they were baptized into Christ supernaturally. That is the other type of baptism. Spiritual baptism. Spiritual baptism is just squirrel jumping around. Spiritual baptism is the baptism that saves. You are placed into Christ. We see this in Romans 6. We see this in 1 Corinthians 6. You are placed into the spirit of Jesus. The word baptized means to place inside of. So we have water baptism, which is symbolic. We have spiritual baptism, which is the baptism that saves. So when we look at Acts 2.38 and we say you need to repent, the church turns it into you need to stop doing bad stuff. That's not the context. Their repentance was a repentance of the law of Moses. And you need to be baptized. Their baptism was to be done in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Moses. Does that make sense? Just start up at verse 14. Read down to Acts 2.38. Then if you go all the way to, I think it's verse 41, you can see that 3,000 of them believed and then they got a clear conscience toward Christ. So that's Acts 2.38. Let me switch hands here. Let me wipe my snotty nose. It is cold today. All right, so let's talk about another one. What about um, Acts chapter 2? when the apostles received the Holy Spirit. This was the first time the Holy Spirit had permanently indwelled a human being. And it happened in the upper room at Pentecost with the apostles, the original disciples. Now, when we look at this section of scripture, what happened? What does the book of Acts say happens? Two different things that we want to turn into doctrine. Well, the first thing is not doctrine. The first thing is they had a flame above their head, a flame. I don't know about you, but I didn't get no flame. <laughs> when I was saved, I didn't see any flame above my head. <laughs> Do you see that? So we want to cherry pick Acts 2.38 and say, repent and be baptized, stop all your nasty sin in and then get dipped in water. But then we want to look at Acts earlier on in Acts chapter two, when the apostles had a flame above their head, but they won't say, repent, be baptized, and have a flame above your head. Double talk. This is why we can't make acts out to be doctrine. 
So the book of Acts, when it talks about the flame above the head, that is a recorded event. And this is actually prophecy being fulfilled by Jesus. When he said, I will baptize you with fire. Make sense? So this is something that's coming to pass that Jesus talked about. They got the flame above the head. <laughs> they received the spirit in full. Zip, sealed up forever. He'll never leave. He doesn't hunt you down and chase you down after you do bad stuff. He goes with you when you do that bad stuff. He never leaves you. Why? The new covenant, the cross, the promise between the father and the son. That's the hope that anchors your soul, not your amazing behavior change. So when we see people say, God will, no matter what you do, God will chase you back down and he'll bring you back. That sounds really neat, but it's not accurate. It's error. Once he joins you, he joins you permanently and he stays never to leave again. Why? The cross. Jesus paid for everything that would cause God to leave you. So once Jesus went to the cross, paid for the sin of man, every human being of all time, then those who have believed, he will come and join them permanently, make his home in them. They will become one spirit. The first time this happened was in Acts chapter two in the upper room. They got the flame above the head. Do you see this is not doctrine? Now let's see what else. Speaking in tongues. We want to look at speaking in tongues as if it is something that must happen in order to have a second dose or a completion. It is actually so ingrained in certain denominations that they want people to do it so badly. They have classes for it. You can actually teach some. You can actually air quotes, teach somebody to speak in tongues. You cannot teach anybody a gift. This is why it's a gift. So what is tongues? Acts 2, 8 tells us. Foreign human languages. How are we hearing them in our native tongue? So at Pentecost, there was a large group of foreign language speaking people. They didn't know everybody's language. But here they are telling people about Jesus. We hear this good news in our native tongue. Are they drunk? No, they're not drunk because the people who knew that they didn't speak German or Chinese or whatever other language that that gift is expressing at that point to tell you about Jesus, they thought they were drunk. They're like, what is this? It's not what our modern church has turned into of this repeated babble. And then you have somebody who interprets that repeated babble. That's error. It's not the truth. Acts 2 verse 8 tells us it is foreign human languages. Here is tongues. I'll just make this really simple for you. Tongues is if I'm visiting you, let's just say in a foreign country. This is how the gospel sp spread so quickly because they could speak foreign languages. They could tell people about Jesus in languages that they didn't know, unknown tongues. So let's say I went to, let's just say Mexico. Let's say I went to Mexico. I found this little pocket of uh, Spanish speaking Christians and they never heard about Jesus, and I started speaking Spanish about Jesus. I don't know Spanish. I know English and Pig Latin. <laughs> so if I begin speaking Spanish, I'm speaking in their native tongue, they're hearing about Jesus. Now, if there was another English-speaking person there who knew Spanish, they could interpret or if somebody had the gift of interpreting a foreign language, they could interpret. 
Do you see this? But our church has turned it into, you gotta do it. It's angel language, it's not angel language. When we see speaking in tongues of angels in 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking in hyperbole. Go read the whole passage. He says, even if I can move mountains, even if I can speak in the tongues of angels, what does he get down to is the bottom line of every spiritual gift, love. Love, that's the greatest gift, but some people won't show love if you talk bad about a specific gift that they're just crazy about, they'll call you a false prophet. They'll cancel you. They'll whatever. They forget about the love and they're focused on a gift. The love is what matters. That's the foundation. Foundation has to be Christ. Okay, so that's tongues. Also, Paul told the Corinthians, not everyone speaks in tongues, do they? Not everyone speaks in tongues, do they? Why would he say that? If you had to get, if you had to speak in tongues to receive a second dose of the spirit, you receive all of the spirit at once in full. He who does not belong to the Lord does not have his spirit. Paul tells the Romans, you've got them all in full. He's never going to leave you again. Once you believe by grace, once in your life. And back to baptism for just a second. Paul also said, God did not send me Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He didn't send me to baptize. So if Paul is belittling the necessity of water baptism, Paul is belittling the necessity of expressing this supernatural gift of speaking a foreign human language. Why are we building doctrine on it? Because we're looking at acts as doctrine and acts is not doctrine, friends. It's a history book. All right, let's look at a couple other things. Switch hands. So if you're new to my ministry and you're watching and you see me hold the phone down and hold back up, I'm actually switching hands. I'm out, I'm out for my morning walk. I started these last spring, I think. Um, a new way to integrate longer format videos into my ministry that, you know, I'm a very busy person. So I started adding these, you know, walk talks to my ministry and it really helps people um, get to know me a little bit better, a little bit deeper. Now, if these walk talks, if you're not seeing them as often, that's because Instagram has changed their algorithms. These longer format videos are trying to get away from. So they're not showing up in your feed as much. They want to do everything like TikTok now. So they're really pushing reels. So if you want to see these videos, go to my profile, go over to the um, IGTV tab, and it's there. Also, I repost these on Facebook now. So if you're on Facebook and you're watching this in the future, cool. Thank you. All right, so let's talk about a couple other things that are in Acts, and then button this up. Um, let's talk about let's talk about three other things. I got three topics just popped up. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. So for those of you who don't know about Ananias and Sapphira, I think it's Acts chapter five. There is a, there's a couple and they lie about money. They sell some land. They lie about the money. And then once they get caught, they die. What are we to make of that as the body of Christ? If we go back and read that, and I've read it several times, the, here's the bottom line. There's not enough information to put anything together for this. First of all, does God kill people for lying about money? 
We'd all be dead because we've lied at some point in our lives about money. Our churches would have corpses piled to the ceiling every Sunday and they'd have to bring in the hearses like crazy because nobody's tithing to the exact percentage. Every, we don't get punished by God for lying about money, much less does God strike us down for lying about money. That overlooks everything that Jesus has done. First of all, what is lying about money? It's a sin. What did Jesus do at the cross? Paid for our sins. So when we look at Ananias and Sapphira, we don't want to say, this is just an example of what God will do to you for being disobedient. It's not. It's not. This is a recorded event of a couple who lied about money in this early church and they died. It doesn't say how. It doesn't say God struck them down. So if I come up with some kind of opinion, it is my opinion. So if I was to influence you in, in any direction, that would be error on my part because I don't know if it's true. But let's talk about a couple of those things. Uh, again, this could be error. We're guessing. Some people think Peter killed him. Peter, you know, the rock, the supposed rock. Peter's not the rock. It's the message that Peter received that was the rock. Jesus didn't build the church on Peter. The one who abandoned him. The one who Paul had to publicly rebuke in Galatia for trying to put the law back on the Gentiles. On the Gentiles, which never had it to begin with. Peter? No. Peter's not the rock. So maybe Peter did it. I don't know. God loved Peter. I have nothing against Peter. But this theology of on this rock I will build my church. And he's talking about Peter. I mean, do you not hear that? You're going to build it on a human on Peter, I'm going to build this church. Sounds like there's an agenda behind that to me. I'm going to get off that. So let's go to the next one. Um, maybe they died of a heart attack. Who knows? Maybe they were so scared or so embarrassed that they just died. Nobody knows. There's not enough information. So we can't look at Ananias and Sapphira and build doctrine and say, look, God will kill you for lying about money. It's not doctrine. God does not kill people for lying about money. Period. What else? Paul had Timothy circumcised. Acts 16. Paul had Timothy circumcised. But what did he call the Galatians for doing that? You foolish Galatians. <sighs> But we want to look to Acts for doctrine. Come on. Let's look at the book of Acts for what it is. Why did he have Timothy circumcised? Given my opinion here. Okay. Paul showed up. This young guy. For whatever reason, Paul took a liking to him. Timothy's mom was Jewish. Timothy's dad was a Greek. So if Paul is bringing Timothy with him to begin to spread this message. He was appeasing the legalistic Jews on his mom's side. 
He even did it in, in front of the other Jews or for them. Go read it. Paul knows you don't have to be circumcised, but yet he had Timothy circumcised. Why? Because to the Jews, I became a Jew. To the Greeks, I became a Greek. Why? So that I might win some for the Lord. It's the same reason why I interact with people all the time that I, I disagree with their theology. It's because I'm not called to just pull everything apart. I'm supposed to focus on Jesus. And when I find myself beginning to do that, that's when I need to reel it back in and say, this is about Jesus. What's my message really focusing on? So when I get into like walk talks, such as the book of Acts is not doctrine, I am trying to get you to refocus on Jesus. Jesus is our doctrine. Jesus does not require you to be circumcised. Jesus does not require you to speak in tongues. Jesus does not require you to change your actions and attitudes in order to be saved. Jesus does not require you to be dunked in water to be saved. Jesus does not require you to not lie about money so we don't kill you. It's all focused on Jesus. Goes right back to him. So let's look at one other thing. In Acts 21, Paul just got back from preaching this good news message to the Gentiles. And he had a meeting, met up with the elders. The elders are, um, are brothers and sisters. The brothers and sisters are believers. James was even there. And they're like, man, we're so excited that you went out, Paul, and that you would actually talk to these nasty, nasty Gentiles. Good job. Thanks for doing that for us. But we hear that you're telling them they don't have to obey the law of Moses. That's not right, is it, Paul? He's in the lion's den. He's in the Jewish lion's den. Surrounded by these Jews. He knows exactly what's about to happen. He's pressured into following their customs. And they say to him, prove to us that this isn't true by doing these ceremonial whatever with whoever. So Paul goes and does the stuff. He is pressured to do whatever customs according to Moses and the law. Yet what did Paul say about the law? The law is not of faith. The law causes sin. Sin afforded, uh, sin afforded by the commandment. Sin will no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. All of these things through all of his epistles, he preached the opposite of Acts 21. But we want to look to the book of Acts and say, this is doctrine. Do this. It's not. It's not, friend. You're free. You're free from any type of pressure from God, from a local body of believers, from a church congregation, from your own conscience. You're free. You're free so you get to live free. So when you read the book of Acts, read it for what it is. How do you read a, a history book for information to find out what happened? You don't read history books to build doctrine in your life. That's not why you read it. That's not why we read the book of Acts. So, so I hope this has encouraged you guys today. Hope it's uh, helped you understand that you're free. Hope it's helped you understand the goodness of God a little bit better. 
Hopefully it has helped you to refocus your attention back onto Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, what he's done for you, which is forgive you, what he's done to you, which has caused you to become a brand new creation, and now what he wants to do through you, through your actions and attitudes. What's that look like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All these good things are already in you. So always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous. It's not as if. It's not just as if. You actually are righteous. You're always in Christ and you're always righteous. God's not looking at you with Christ glasses on. He's looking at you for who you actually are. You're righteous. You're blameless. Why are you blameless? Because of what Jesus did at the cross. That's why you're blameless. Not because of what you do. Because of who you are. You're holy. Why are you holy? Because you've been sanctified. You're a saint. What's the only thing that can possibly sanctify you? <clears throat> which, is, which means holy. The blood of Jesus. Is Jesus continually pouring out his blood to make you more holy? To make you more sanctified? No. Your sanctification is complete. You have been sanctified. 1 Corinthians 6. Hebrews 10. You're not being sanctified in your identity. You're righteous. You're blameless. You're holy. You're a new creation. You, you are not the same person as you were before salvation. You might have some old thought patterns, coping mechanisms. Your conscience is still trained by old ways of living. But you are new. And you're going to prove that one way or the other. Matt, you're just telling people they can do whatever they want. That's exactly what I'm telling you. You can do, you can do whatever you want. Because what's going to happen is you're going to figure out what you want as you live your life. And you want what God wants. You do. You're righteous. You're blameless. You're holy. You're a new creation. You're set apart. What are you set apart from? From sin, the power of sin. You've been taken out of sin, placed into Christ. From death. When your physical body wears out or loses its breath, you will instantly be in the presence of God uninterrupted. You will not experience a second death, which is hell. So start telling these, start saying these things to yourself because they're the truth. Hear yourself say it. The spirit will bear witness to it. He'll agree with you and he'll say, yes, yes, you're righteous, Matt. Yes, you're holy, Matt. Yes, you're blameless, Matt. Yes, these things are true. Now live, live, live. All right, guys. Hope you guys have a great day today. We'll see you on the next Walk Talk. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.